0: Hot tip, if you weren't here last week and you've ever found yourself in God's waiting room, the place between the promise and the fulfilment of the promise, Rob preached a message last week called Delayed. And I know many of you that were here and heard that could relate to it. It's like, yeah, I've been in God's waiting room and God's so good that He doesn't always give us everything we want and even the things He does give us, He doesn't give us when we want, but He sometimes waits and gives them when His timing is is even better, because he knows more than us. So listen to that message if you haven't already, and if you've got a friend that you think will benefit from it, share it with them. This morning, how about we make a good friend, becoming our great friend, Rob Mason. Welcome. Thank you so much, Mark. appreciate your welcome. And aren't things hotting up? We are definitely, definitely in summer. We had some doubts over October, November. It was like, you know, it was... Very mild, it was wet, and then it was sort of hit December. It's like, yeah, but now we are in summer. It's time to get down the beach, it's time to get to the river, time to clean that barbecue, it's time to get people over in your house, and it's a great time to invite people to church. This is a great time of the year. People, whether it's Easter or Christmas, if they're ever going to go into uh, church, that's a great time. And over the years Karen and I have invited neighbours and friends and look a lot of times it's uh, thanks but no thanks. It's nothing personal but at least we've given the invitation and at times we've invited people and they've actually said yes which is amazing. I remember one time inviting one neighbour and she said, yeah, I'll come along. And at the end of the service, she came forward for prayer. It was like, wow, it wasn't that long ago I had an altercation with her husband, Uh, but that's a whole nother, very awkward. (laughs) The message was entitled, love thy neighbour. No, it was, uh, but you just never know what happens when you invite someone. And I haven't seen the stats for a long time, but I've got a feeling most people are in church because someone invited them. And even if they say no, it might be the third time, the sixth time, and uh, you just never know what happens when they walk in this place. They may experience the thrill of hope. And so it's a real honour to be here this morning and leading up to Christmas, and it didn't take long. I knew I had to do that message on delay and the whole thing of Christmas followed, very lengthy delay. It was a long time to be in the waiting room, some 400 years. But I just thought this whole thing, of uh, passion for Jesus. Okay, my wife is on call. It's not our, our son saying, Where is the milk? or anything like that. It's, um, it's work related, so that's all good. But I thought, Okay, back here, what do I preach on? And it was just like that passion for Jesus. Let's just make sure we're all on the one page, and that one page is Jesus. And you know, we know the little sayings, He's the reason of the season, and yet it can become so familiar. We forget that it's all about a person. We can, you know, get into worship and sing great songs and, you know, lead breaks and everything. It's all great, but forget. Hang on, it worship's all about Jesus. Whether I get anything out of it or not, whatever. Uh, ministry is all about Jesus. Uh, missions is all about Jesus. Some people, their focus is on the mission, but the focus is to be on Jesus and we can easily get off track. It's all about passion. And when you think about passion, you think of people who are intriguing, people who are inspiring, people who are influential. Now, don't, they're not always the smartest, the brightest, they're not always the wealth, yes, and they're not always those with the, the most outgoing personality, those who got a, what we call a strong personality, whatever. There's a type of person I just gravitate towards and they're people who have passion. Yeah. Now, sometimes, you know, you look at a Steve Jobs and you, you, you read about him, you see documentaries and think, wow, he was passionate, but gosh, to work with would have been really difficult. Then you get your guys like your Steve Irwin's, now, you may not have had any um, passion for the environment or crocodiles or little possums or wombats or whatever, but you start watching Steve Irwin and it's just you just get caught into his world. His passion was contagious and he really brought a new word to the English dictionary, which was? Crikey, I don't know if it's in the Webster dictionary or whatever, but it probably should be because Steve Irwin really taught us not just the word crikey, but hey, we should be passionate about our environment. Then you have a mother, Teresa, who who was very quietly spoken, but it's her passion for the poorest of the poor. Unbelievable. Now you can be an atheist and have a heart for the poor, But when you hear Mother Teresa talk about, she believed, not so much believed, she saw the manifestation of Jesus among the poor. That is profound. And she was so passionate that so many other people said, hey, we want to help serve you and serve the poorest of the poor. And then, you know, you you look at your pastors. Your pastors are very passionate. It's one of the first things I'd notice about uh, Mark and Lou is just like, oh, they are passionate about Jesus. They're passionate about the church. They're passionate about Elevate. I don't know if you've noticed that. And it's not just the caffeine. There there is an absolute, genuine passion in their hearts. And isn't it great that the whole... Hillsong phenomena didn't start in Toronto, Pensacola, or Anaheim. It actually started in Sydney, Australia. That Brian and Bobby, whatever our views are, is totally irre- irrelevant because they are passionate about Jesus. They're passionate about the lost. They're very passionate about the church and not just Hillsong Church. Their passion is contagious, it's influential, it's intriguing. So it begs the question then, where does passion come from? You know, is passion purely genetics? Is it something that you receive in the DNA of your parents? Uh, could it just be your personality? So, you know, if you're an extrovert, you know, you, you just, it's just, you know, from the age of two, you were passionate about toys and passionate about the wiggles. It was just, it was in you. It's your personality and Put up your hand if you're an introvert. And of course, you're not going to put up your hand because you don't want bringing bring attention to yourself. But some of us are introverts and we probably think, well, I can't be passionate. Well, actually, we're going to find that passion actually doesn't have anything to do with personality. Could it be culture? You know, are we sort of born into a culture, Latin American culture, Italian culture, French culture? And it's amazing you see if you ever travel you see them talking to each other and they use their hands and go, <laughs> and we just your but go oh it's your just said good morning, how are you? You go, wow. I thought they're having an argument. No, they're just it's the culture. They're just like that. And I was yeah, good I good, yeah, yeah. Not bye-bye, yeah, good. Uh, but the but that's okay. Or could it be that God sovereignly imparts passion to a few people? Passion for you, passion for you, passion for you. Mm, The rest, just passivity is fine. Don't think it works that way. So here is the big takeaway. Revelation provokes passion. Knowledge provokes, knowledge um, ignites passion, and a way that I can share this with you why it is so is using my wife Karen as an example who is on call, and and by the way, if you wanna know what passion is, passion is a fire in the belly, it's zeal, it's enthusiasm, but it's a little bit more than that, it's a little bit more than just emotion. When I first met Karen, she's now Karen Mason, but she used to be Karen Manning, I knew about Karen Manning. I knew that she's got a mum and dad and a younger brother. I knew she was very involved at Claremont Baptist Church. And I knew she was a nurse at Fremantle Hospital. And that was it. And I'd met her a couple of times. We met at, uh, you know, weddings. You know how you, you don't know what to do with the singles. So let's put them all on one table and just see what happens. We were... That table, she remembers I had a very thin yellow leather tie, and she thought, Yeah, dorky, but um, interesting. A year or so goes by, and I just thought, oh, You know, this is Manning. She was intriguing. So I rang her up, and I rang and said, Hi. Uh, you know, a typical guy, you know, trying to sound confident but on the inside, <laughs> You're just dying. I think it's great now that women uh, quite often you know, can ask guys out. I think it's just a great time to be single. But back in the, the day, it was always the man had to initiate. And when you're an introvert, oh, man, so rude. Hi, uh, I think her dad answered. The f- no, I, I can't remember now. <laughs> I hope not. But anyhow, she yeah, answered. Oh, Rob Basin. She, Hi, now she wishes. In hindsight, she... Sorry, Who? Uh, Rob Mason, youth pastor at Warwick Church Christ. Rob Mason, and, but she didn't. She went, hi, how are you? I said, oh, good. Ooh, yeah, good. Um, just wondering, do you want to go out, you know, have something to eat? And so we went out and just went to a pretty average restaurant. And for the next three or four hours, we talked nonstop. It was incredible. And at the end of that sort of date, I, you know, I went home and I just thought, Wow. Karen Manning, and in in just three or four hours, I knew so much more about her. And all of a sudden, this knowledge began to ignite passion. So much so that in the morning, I was living with a couple of guys at the time in Padbury. And a guy said, oh, how how was the date with Karen? I said, oh, it looked really good. And he said, it must have been really good. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, I I went to the fridge to find the milk, and it wasn't there. And I found in the cupboard. You were obviously... I was the goner, like three hours with Karen Manning. And, and why was it? It was revelation. It was knowledge. It's interesting, over the coming weeks, I didn't focus on passion. Come on, Rob, passion. got I know it's gonna be difficult, but just I, I didn't have to focus on passion. All I had to focus was, I wanna know Karen better. I don't wanna just know about her. I, I don't wanna just get into small talk, although small talk can lead to... deeper talk but when I go out with her I want to make the most of every opportunity so what we would do, we just spent time together It wasn't always costly, didn't always cost a lot of money thank goodness but you know there are times we might have gone to a cafe gone for a a walk on the beach, the river there are times times I even went shopping with her now now the tragedy of and and I'm sure it's not um, uncommon is she said you know I'm going shopping do you want to come with me? I said look wherever you go I want to go after about a month of marriage, um, oh, you, know, you go. I was <laughs> you know, like, no, you go. Isn't it terrible? I'm so bad. Uh, but look, it was. It was just about, I just wanted to spend time with Karen Manning. And so there's the lesson there. You don't have to focus on passion when it comes to Jesus. All we have to do is focus on the person, Jesus. All we have to do you spend time with Jesus, spend time like this when you know we come together on a Sunday, but when you're going to work, when you're going to uni, as you're going for a walk, as you're cleaning and before you go to sleep, you, you just consciously spend time with, listen to, ask questions, you, you just go on this journey of, Jesus, I want to know you. Not Jesus, I want to be passionate. No, I just want to know you because as I know you and I receive revelation, the revelation provokes passion. Listen to what Paul said to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians 1.17. And so Paul, I believe, is praying this according to the will of God. I don't think it's just his prayer. It's almost like God's prayer being prayed through Paul. Paul's praying it back to God and God's going, yeah, I'm gonna answer that prayer. Paul says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know Him better." I'm praying not just for an impartation of passion, I'm praying for an impartation of revelation. As you receive revelation, that will ignite, that will provoke, that will fuel passion. And I'm sure God's going, yes, I'm gonna answer that and I am going to impart that love, that revelation, that, re- um, that spirit of wisdom to that church. So the focus is always on the person. And this is where we struggle with areas like prayer. Have you ever tried to pray? For a lot of us, prayer is a struggle. And one of the reasons why prayer is a struggle is our focus in prayer. If we're really honest, when we pray, our focus is on our weakness in prayer. So we start praying and there's a little voice saying, having fun, are we? It's like, no, I'm not really. You're not very good at praying, are you? No, I'm pretty pathetic, but you know, I've got to do it because I know people in South Korea pray for hours and I've read all these books about great men and women of God and they get up at four in the morning and they pray for two hours unless it's a really busy day. They pray for four hours and I'm pathetic. It's like, no, no, so you're focusing on the wrong thing. Or we focus on what to say. Or we focus on how to say it. Whereas all we need to do is just focus on the person. Just focus on the personhood, the majesty, the awesomeness, the excellencies of Jesus Christ. The actual words we speak is almost secondary because the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. The Holy Spirit is interceding. Jesus himself is interceding. And it's just like, if we just focus on the person, Jesus Christ, and all we do in our prayer time is, oh God, you are good, uh, you are awesome. And that little voice is going, yeah, you're not very, be quiet. I'm just gonna focus on the person, Jesus. You are, you are so good. Oh, focus the person, the person. Jesus, you are awesome. Jesus, you're you're seated on a throne. I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places. And you don't have to be that articulate, but you'll find you focus on the person. And that revelation provokes passion. So I think it's time to break some paradigms. Because for some of us, our struggle is you could go, okay, focus on the person, but we have this westernised, sanitised view of Jesus as presented in the Gospels. And particularly as men, we find it very hard to go, yeah! And part of it is, I don't think we really know Jesus. We have a view of Jesus that's been so influenced by middle-class, sanitised, pasteurised, homogenised Christianity that we've, we've forgotten that Jesus The one who came to this earth as fully God and fully man. My goodness. We know, yeah, fully God, but he was fully man. Well, that means he was strong. Yes, strong in the sense of he was vulnerable. Strong in that he he was emotional. Strong as in he was totally dependent upon the Father. Like this is the Jesus whose old man, the, he, his earthly father was a carpenter, so Jesus grew up as a blue-collar worker. And yet when he took over the business, it was like, well, he was also entrepreneurial. He had calluses, he he had blisters, he probably had a thumb like this, where, a, <laughs> you know, I can imagine Jesus hitting the thumb and, oh, Jesus, oh, that's me. Oh, no, sorry, that's a little side. Um, but it's, it's just like, but when he was full of Holy Spirit, baptised in the Holy Spirit, we see that he he spends time with lepers. He spends time with the, the marginalised, the least, the lost, the lonely. Like, we, we start realising that, man, he was so radical. And then, you know, we have this view, oh, you know, he was just this gentle sort of person. Well, look at the way he spoke to some of the institutionalised Jewish Leaders, he called them dogs, snakes, whitewashed tombs and hypocrites. He would go on a boat to the other side so I can spend some time with one demonized man who was naked and self-harming and just violent. This is the person we focus on, who walked on water, who turned water into wine, not wine into water. A lot of his ministry was messy. Ever seen someone released from a demonic oppression? It's messy. It's noisy. It's violent. Jesus spending time with a unnamed immoral woman, you know, sitting by the well, and it was scandalous. We just read, think, oh, that was nice. No, it was scandalous that a Jewish man would be speaking to this woman who has a reputation. And yet Jesus didn't care about his reputation. That's a real man. He, he would stand up for the least, the lost and the lonely. He was an advocate. And so just, you just see this, this Jesus. He was not tame, mild-mannered, politically correct or civilised. He was untamed. He was wild. He was courageous. He was vulnerable. He was a holy nonconformist, totally misunderstood even by his closest friends and family. And then we read about this risen and exalted Jesus, Hebrews 1, verse 3 Jesus is the radiance of the riches of God's glory. Now you could spend a few weeks just going, Sorry, what? Jesus is the radiance of the riches of the glory of God or God's glory. That is awesome. Colossians 1.19, all the riches of the fullness of God is found in Jesus. Ah, Let me me just say it again. All the riches of the fullness of God is found in Jesus. Revelation 1.5, Jesus is enthroned as absolute sovereign. So all that is happening in the world, Jesus is sovereign over all of it. Colossians 1, 16 to 17, Jesus is before all things and in him, all things hold together. Well, there's a thought. Everything holds together. The universe is held together. Our cells in our bodies are held together through Christ. If Christ just said, oh, for a moment, I'm not gonna hold all things together. This universe is gone. It's held together through Christ. We are held together through Christ. That is the one we are to be passionate about, passion for Jesus. Now, for some people, it's that word passion. It just seems a little little bit extreme, don't you think? Passion? No. I've had many conversations, particularly with men, they hear a message like this, that, Rob, uh, passion, like, come on. So what if I worship like this? And I said, yeah, it's not about body language. It's about attitude. Yeah, I'm just an introvert. Yes, so am I. Got nothing to do with personality. But I, I'm just not a passionate person. Uh, two years ago, we sat together Subiaco Oval, West Coast Eagles versus Essendon. I saw you. Yeah, yeah. That, that's passion. I've seen you surf. Woo! Did you say that? It's like let's come to church. Oh, come on. Just can't do it. But when we get a revelation of the personhood of Jesus, I just can't see any other response than all out, all consuming. <laughs> untamed, uncivilised, just, whoa! Like, you don't have to be loud to be passionate. You could be an introvert, wow! But it's on the inside, this sense of, I am undone. He's taken my breath away. I mean, the title of this message cannot be passivity for Jesus. I mean, that would be an insult. passion. That's what it's about, passion is the only response to one who is so, so radical. But over time, things happen for many of us. We can get busy doing really good things. We can get busy doing church things. We can get busy being very disciplined in the spiritual disciplines. <sighs> and yet over time, Jesus becomes familiar. Jesus becomes secondary to ministry. Is that possible? Oh yeah, yeah. Been there, done that. For missionaries, they're consumed with the mission, but not Jesus. Churches can get consumed with the website and lights and everything else, but they forget about it's all about Jesus. We can get consumed with our lifestyle and all, you know, all the things of what it is to live in such an amazing nation, and we forget it's, it's actually all about Jesus, that our marriage is all about Jesus. Singleness is all about Jesus. Jesus. And it's happened before, and it happened to a church I just mentioned. The church was Ephesus, where Paul wrote a letter and said, this is my prayer, I pray that you will receive a spirit of wisdom and revelation that you may know him better. I'm praying that you will know the height, the depth, the length and the breadth of the, or the extravagant dimensions of Jesus. And I'm sure for a time, the church of Ephesus was known for his passion. And yet about 30 years later, under the anointing of the same Holy Spirit, John wrote this. It's Jesus speaking to the church in Ephesus. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. They were probably brilliant at ministry. They had the best small group system going. They had the best outreach to the poor. They had soup kitchens. They had courses, discipleship courses. They had great worship services and everything else. But somewhere along the line, they lost their first love. I don't think it was overnight. I think it was very subtle to the point that Holy Spirit says, John, I want you to write a letter you're doing this well, you're doing that well, I love what you do, this. yet I hold this against you. It's got nothing to do with performance, it's got nothing to do, oh, I hold this against you, your small group program's really not good, it's not, it's not that, I hold this against you, uh, your bass player, you know, my, my gosh, you know, whatever, whatever, it's just, no, 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 no. <laughs> love your bass player, you're doing some really cool, uh, this is what I hold against you. Can you imagine hearing that for the very first time you have lost your first love. I don't think they were defensive. I don't think they went, oh no, that's not, it would have been, <gasps> it's true. See how far you have fallen. Have a revelation of your spiritual decline. I want you to see how far you have fallen despite your very professional, despite the fact that you do things with excellence, you have fallen and fallen and fallen. You have lost your first love, but you can get it back. And you get it back through repentance. And repentance is more than remorse. It's more than, oh, I'm sorry. It's a complete paradigm shift. It's a realignment of your life, your priorities, everything. It is this radical turnaround Just, oh, never, ever, ever again. Repentance is brokenness. And here's a thought I want to leave with you. Unhindered people, unhindered people are broken people. Unhindered people, passionate people, people who don't care what others think, they're broken people. But hindered people, or oh, I, I don't want to make a scene, I, I don't want people to get the wrong, I, they're, they're not broken. On the outside, sophisticated, civilized, everything's fine, but they're not broken. So hooray. For those of you this morning, say I'm broken, I'm undone. Because that's part of the pathway to unhindered passion for the Son of God. I really don't care if I'm misunderstood. I really don't care what people think. The only response to the majesty and the awesomeness of Jesus is unrestrained, unhindered, extravagant passion for Jesus. So a very simple prayer for Elevate Church. Holy Spirit, will you through repentance ignite unrestrained passion In our hearts for Jesus, the glorious Son of God. Let us pray. So, Father God, that's what we're praying right here, right now. We are praying, number one, for a revelation of how far we have fallen, a revelation that leads to repentance, a repentance that leads us back to a place of our first love where you take our breath away, where we are undone. We are consumed with this desire to know Jesus better. And we are praying for a fresh revelation of the personhood of Jesus Christ. The simplicity of that revelation but how deep and profound is Jesus? And we thank you that Jesus, this passionate person, dwells on the inside. That passion for Jesus is not works. It's not pray longer and harder. It's because We are receiving a revelation that ignites and provokes unhindered, unrestrained, extravagant passion for Jesus. Will you be glorified in our lives, in this church and in this community. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.